0: I'm David Fedor, and on today's episode of Bee Gees and Me.
1: If I had been in that audience, like, (laughs) I could have died happy. Like, forget my son getting married, forget grandkids, like, like, okay, you know, hey, you know, I got to see Brian Wilson and Bruce Springsteen on stage together. Yeah, okay.
0: So I shoved it underneath my shirt, because I'm like, I'm not going to be seen walking through the Wells Fargo Center with this invaluable piece of memorabilia.
1: One of the things you and I agreed with is that we had similar experiences. When someone comes to me and says, Well, I don't like Bruce Springsteen, the first thing I want to ask is um, Have you listened to anything besides Born in the USA CD?
0: Hello Bee Gees fans, I am very excited about today's episode. My guest this week is Jesse Jackson, host of Set Lusting Bruce, a Bruce Springsteen podcast. You see, he and I are kindred spirits. Much like I am a huge fan of the Bee Gees, Jesse is a huge fan of Bruce Springsteen. So it was super easy to talk with Jesse because we have that same passion about a musical performer. The same dysfunctional brain that makes us obsessed to the point where we have huge collections and create podcasts because we love talking about them so much. I was a guest on his podcast at Less Bruce uh, a few months ago. Even though I wasn't necessarily a Springsteen fan, Jesse likes talking to guests who were super fans of other groups too. So we ended up talking for over two hours about the Bee Gees and Bruce Springsteen and all sorts of other things. It was great. There's links to those episodes on Bee If you're interested, we share some great stories. Look them up. They're, they're cool. Anyway... When I was a guest on his show, it was before the HBO documentary came out, and it was before Barry's Greenfield's country album came out. So we decided that we would exchange songs with each other. I gave him deeper cuts of BG songs, and he gave me some deeper cuts of Bruce songs. And then he would come and be a guest on my show, and we could catch up and talk more music. That conversation is coming up here in a little bit, and I think you'll really enjoy it. But first... This exchanging music with Jesse reminded me of a time in my life when I used to exchange music with my friends on a regular basis. This was about uh, like 10, 15 years ago. It sounds really gross to say that out loud. Where does the time go? Um... But it was at a point in my life where I felt like I needed to expand my musical horizons. I wasn't listening to much music besides the Gibbs. So I thought my friends could help me discover new music. And at the same time, I thought it would be a good way to get them to listen to some Bee Gees, you know, because I'm sick like that. So each month we would pick a theme and make CD mixes for each other. Someone would host at their apartment and we'd all bring over food and booze for a big dinner. And we'd eat and drink while listening to music and telling story about the songs that we chose and and why we picked them. At the end of the night, we'd all get several discs full of new music. And more importantly, it was also some awesome quality time with friends. We called ourselves the Disc Poets Society. We met for about a year before life gets in the way as it does. But I'll always remember that as one of the coolest things that I was ever a part of. Fast forward to today, and here I am finding myself trading music again. Before meeting Jesse, I hadn't really listened to Bruce Springsteen all that much. But through him, I discovered some amazing songs that have now become part of my regular music rotation. And I'm happy to report that I introduced him to a few Bee songs that he would have never heard before either. We didn't have to burn each other's CDs or get together and have dinners. Even if there wasn't a pandemic keeping us from being able to assemble, we live we live hundreds of miles away from each other in different parts of the country. But technology has allowed us to create these playlists and stream music so that we could share with each other. And next week, exclusively on Spotify, I'll be sharing a listening party episode of Bee Gees and Me where Jesse and I talk about and listen to these Bruce and Gibb songs, and it carries on that spirit of me and my friends with the Disc Poet Society from all those years ago. So I hope you watch for it and listen to it. It was incredible to create, as was the first part of our conversation, which is coming up next. But first, this. Welcome to Bee Gees and Me. I'm David Fedor. Today, I'm with Jesse Jackson of Set Lusting Bruce, a Bruce Springsteen podcast. Jesse, welcome to Bee Gees and Me.
1: I am so excited to be here, David. Uh, you were kind enough to be on my show. Uh, we had a great time talking BGs and sharing great stories. Uh, and so I was thrilled you invited me to join you on yours.
0: Well, if there's one thing that I've wanted to do since the early 90s was convert every single person in the world to being a Bee Gees fan. And if I have to do that one person at a time, I'll do that. And you, sir, are on deck. You're that guy. You're being converted right now as as a Bee Gees fan. Yes,
1: I am excited. And, uh, you know, we. I, it, you don't have to do a lot of converting because you know, I graduated high school in 1977. So I was at the, you know, at, at their in a lot of ways they're you know, their zenith right. uh to the casual fan. And what was wonderful is after you and I met and talked, just a like of less than a month later, HBO puts out the documentary. Yep. And uh and and I went and I went, you know, my friend David's gonna like this, but he's gonna go, they gave short shift to the end of the career because they didn't yes. talk enough about it oh and, and i knew that would be your thought right
0: i was i don't want to say furious because that's a strong word but i will say it it came as close to ruining the entire documentary for me when they summarized 87 to 2001 in a 90 second montage yes. at the yes. end of the film that was so painful for me and um yeah, because that's my favorite era, as we talked about on on your podcast. So uh, I'm I'm glad you picked up on that, and and I've been vocal about it online. So uh, and from a documentary perspective, of course, you need to focus on the '60s and '70s because that was their career heights, right? As you mentioned in terms of popularity, and uh, some would argue even creativ- creatively. Creatively, um, but I discovered them in the early '90s, and and that. To me, was their height, and and um, it is what it is. The, they have a, a a movie, a scripted movie about their lives coming up, and I'm fully expecting and preparing myself for it to be the same exact thing. Focus on them as a kids growing up in the '60s and then evolving into a band in the '70s, and um, maybe as the credits roll, they mention, "Oh yeah, and then they had a comeback, their fourth comeback in the '90s," and blah blah blah. Well, what,
1: why the reason I. I f- Empathize is before I was obsessed with Bruce Springsteen. Um, I and we shared this. I was a I still am a huge Beach Boys and Brian Wilson fan, and so they will always bring you know his heyday, and they will kind of end with you know good vibrations, you know, and then the destruction of Smile, you know, and how he went crazy.
0: <laughs> well, uh, did you see recently that there was some uh, mutual love pass back and forth between Barry Gibb and Brian Wilson online?
1: Yes, I did.
0: So uh, they uh, Barry sent out a tweet or a Facebook message. I'm not sure where it originated, but he mentioned how much he idolized Brian Wilson and, and uh, that the one time they got to meet, he was so nervous that he couldn't really talk to him too long. And uh, and that he would love to collaborate. And then Brian Wilson shared that and you know echoed the same sentiments. And uh, a lot of people are talking. Maybe it'll lead to a collaboration. That would be two giants going at just oh man, that's that's Godzilla and uh, and uh, King Kong of music collaborating on a track.
1: Yeah, and you know I I realize you can't go back in time, but you think you know with. With Brian and you know, his, his two brothers, a cousin you know, and a friend, the Beach Boys were known for their harmony. How amazing would it have been for the three uh, brothers Gibbs to work with him producing them and arranging the vocals just from a different perspective, how much he loved harmony? Uh, yeah, that would be very cool.
0: And it might end up being like an oil and water situation, too, where maybe it clashes. I don't see that happening, but um, I'm sure it'll be interesting. Um, And I hope it happens because Greenfield also came out since you and I spoke last, which is Barry's big duets album where he paired up with a bunch of different country music artists and redid classic BG songs in a country music style. Maybe Brian Wilson could fit into that into volume two.
1: Yeah, that would be really interesting. Uh, that you you sent me that link and um, there, I, I have listened to part of it because I had homework. You gave me homework, so but now <laughs> that our my after we're recording it, I'm going to go back and enjoy the rest of that. Now that I've done my homework, because the couple I sound I heard I sampled sounded really interesting. Yeah. Um. So it's good. You
0: know, quick. I, I was going to say, I think I think they could have gone even more country and leaned heavier into because it still has that pop sound. Bee Gees are a pop band, so that purity of pop is still going to be there, but I wouldn't mind seeing it go even deeper because Barry's first foray into country was in 2016 with his in the now solo album. Mm -hmm. And he recently spoke about how he wanted to push country a little bit more and the label and maybe even, you know, his, his producers were backing him off a little bit and telling him, Hey, you know, don't, don't go into the deep end. So, so deep, so quick. So,
1: absolutely i do real quick uh, i do need to share this story because i've, I've told it a couple times uh, back when we used to, back when musicians used to tour before <laughs> COVID, the, the before uh, times yes um back when dinosaurs were with the earth uh brian wilson was touring and he came to jersey went to new jersey and um bruce went to the show and there's a picture of him and brian before the show, getting a picture taken. And then there, there is available on YouTube. um, Bruce joins on stage and plays guitar on fun, fun, fun with the encore. He sings a little bit of background and I have made the joke only slightly joking that if I had been in that audience, like (laughs) I could have died happy, like forget my son getting married, forget grandkids like, like, okay. You know, Hey, you know, I got to see Brian Wilson and Bruce Springsteen on stage together. Yeah. Okay. You know,
0: (laughs) I'm going to cash in. I'm going to cash in. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Wow. That's, that would be, that would be amazing. Now, just like, Brian Wilson and Barry Gibb had their mutual love exchange back in 2014, Barry Gibb and Bruce Springsteen had a little mutual love exchange uh, when Bruce performed staying alive at one of his concerts and Barry performed um, I'm on fire. Yeah. I'm on fire in Philadelphia at one of his concerts.
1: So I don't know. I I hope most of your audience have, if, if you have not gone, please go to Set Lusting Bruce and listen to David's whole interview because it is fascinating. We have a great time. But um, I have repeated this story more than I should on my preceding episodes. Um, and and my premise is i talked to music fans from around the world and majority of them are Bruce Springsteen fans and we we kind of share similar to this format right you're talking to other people but i have told the story so many times because you told the story about being in that audience and going really I'm getting a cover.
0: Yeah, I only I was, have
1: one chance to see the Bee Gees, to see I Barry. Was, I was
0: in Philadelphia 2014, and it was the first time and only time I'd ever seen Barry Gibb live. And this was, you know, a lifetime of love coming true. I was in the third row, paid a lot of money, and took time off work to be there. And he's playing a Bruce Springsteen song. What? You could have squeezed something from high civilization in there.
1: So I want to share with you that every one of my guests have shared your pain and totally said, if I was in his place, I would feel exactly (laughs) the same way. Um, Now, luckily, you know, before the COVID, Bruce tours a lot. Mm -hmm. when he tours and he usually does you know uh, we don't know what he's going to do now that he's 70 but normally you know two hours 50 minutes three hours 10 and he has gone four hours it not unusual to go a four-hour show but normally a three-hour show so in that three-hour show um Depending on it, he was going through a period where um, people brought sign requests, and so and they would do not only deep cuts of his, but when I was in Nashville, he did um, the band did "I Can't Get No Satisfaction" into "Burning Love," and um, and I always think if that was my first Springsteen show, like really. Really? But, you know, as someone who's gone a few times, you know, I was loving to do that. And there is a a young couple, not, I'm sorry, not a couple, a couple of guys who do a small Springsteen podcast that are great. And they have a theory that the E street band should just tour doing nothing but covers. Like they should do a show just like do a limited set where they do nothing but covers because they're the best bar band in the world.
0: Well, I mean, you, you sent me a playlist and half the playlist was live versions of some of the songs uh, because they have, such a great live sound. And, and they they are incredible. And, and you could tell they're having fun. Yes. They're just loving performing. And that's always great to see. Uh, before we move on from live performance, though, I, I do want to mention one more thing about that 2014 show that I saw Barry Gibb in Philadelphia at the Mythology uh, Tour is that, and I share this on your show as well, but for my listeners and viewers, I snagged the set list that was on the stage that uh, Barry, I think it was at Barry's microphone at least as I remember it. Yes. But I remember uh, like rushing the stage when the concert was over, looking for like picks or something that I could get some kind of memorabilia. And there were a couple of roadies there that were just like, come on, man, we don't have anything. Just go away. Just go, just go home, go home. And I was like, but, but what is that? What is that right there? And uh, it was the set list and the roadie pulled it off the ground and rolled it up and handed it to me. And I was like, oh my God. So I shoved it underneath my shirt at, to, as I was leaving, because I'm like, I'm not going to be seen walking through the Wells Fargo Center with this, you know, memorabilia, I- invaluable piece of memorabilia. Um, so then I, I walk and and my friend and I go to the uh, subway that takes us back to his neighborhood. and um, And I'm sitting on the subway and I take the paper out and I unroll it and I'm sitting there looking at it. And I'm like, oh my God, here it is. Blah blah blah. Oh, he sang that. Oh yeah, I completely remembered he's he sang Spirits. That was so great to hear. And um and uh, everybody on the bus or uh, everybody on the um subway car like starts turning their heads and looking at me. And I realized they all also came from the concert. So they were like, was that the set list? Oh my God. Blah blah blah. So it was it was like one of those fun moments where uh, this is nuts. Yeah. So I do have amazing. I do have right here i'm on fire uh so i will always have that soft spot for that song and for bruce springsteen because of that concert but tell our listeners where your bruce springsteen fandom started um because you and i have a similar like insane obsessive love of a musical act uh but yours is Bruce Springsteen. Tell me, tell me your origin story.
1: Sure. So, um, I, I graduated, as I said, in 1977, uh, was a child of, uh, AM radio, uh, loved, you know, Elton John and, 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 you know, Foghat and, you know, obviously the Bee Gees and Queen and all these other, um, bands. And, um, certainly knew bruce the first time i heard of bruce was um the linda is my wife uh we've been married 35 years and one of her best friends was a lady named lisa and lisa had gone to school on the east coast and she came back talking about this guy called bruce springsteen (laughs) and how he was amazing and I'm like, I don't know him. And, you know, one of my early, one of my memories is I remember being in a barbershop in Moss Bluff, Louisiana. That's where the little suburb I live in. Um, and there was a either or time. With Springsteen on the cover, you know, there's that famous. He was the first person ever to be on both the cover of Time and Newsweek on the same time, oh wow, uh, same week, and it was like you know the greatest, the you know most famous rock and roll, the best rock and roll world. And I remember looking at that, like, what? Who's this guy? Like, have they never heard of Elton John? Have they never heard of you know? I just had no idea. Um, and so I remember buying the River and certainly liked Hungry Heart. Um, Then like everyone else in the world, bought Born in the USA, loved all the hits. Um, I certainly remember Tunnel of Love and buying the box set, the live 75 to 85, which was this huge marketing blitz they had. But I was a casual fan. Then 9-11 happened, David, and... um, I turned on the TV, they were going to do a benefit concert, a telethon to raise money. And um, that you float up, you know, the camera pans to Bruce Springsteen and he goes, a prayer for our fallen brothers and sisters. And all of a sudden he and the band um, do My City of Ruins. And, um, and it was a perfect song. It's available on YouTube. Um, it was actually written about um, Asbury Park and how the economy had destroyed that, but it necessarily wasn't written about. Um, so I was struck by that. And so I went and bought The Rising, listened to it a little bit. And then in, in 2002, um Bruce came to Dallas and this was the first chance I'd ever had a chance to see him live for whatever reason you know I grew up in a small town in Louisiana we moved to Dallas in like 86 you know he quit touring like in the 90s he didn't do much I just had never seen him and um I went and my wife after the show was like, well, did you like it? And I said, well, okay, Linda, if he had gone out, played Born to Run and left, I wouldn't like, okay, I, you know, check mark, you know, bucket list. But at the time, David, I felt like I'd walked into the middle of a movie that I knew was really good, but I didn't understand it because I had not listened to The Rising over and over and over again. So his set list was filled with a lot of songs that I didn't know. So um, when Devils and Dust came out, which was his next album, uh, when he toured, um, I had – Listened to the CD backwards and forwards, knew it, knew every song, and so I went to it. So, the thing I tell on my podcast, David, is two kinds of people people go to a Bruce Springsteen concert, they go, Wow, that was long, and the others go, Oh my goodness, when can I see him again? And that's when I, you know, I thought that, and then something amazing happened in like 2012 is I discovered that you don't have to wait for Bruce to come to your town. There's this thing called airplanes and cars, <laughs> and you can drive to another city to see him perform in other places. So, um, and I'm, one of my happiest moments in 2012, I was able to see three shows in 30 days. I saw him in Dallas, I saw him in Nashville, and then I saw him in Houston.
0: <laughs> wow. And, yeah. and how how did the shows compare? Were they similar set lists or was it completely Yeah, so new?
1: one of the beauties, in fact, the people always ask me, where did you come up with the name Set Lusting Bruce? Like my brother said, is it some kind of sexual thing? With it you sounds sexual. Yeah, yeah. So a couple sleeping, things you need to know.
0: Sleeping with the Bee Gees. Yeah. yeah um, that that yeah. was my backup name for yeah. my podcast, but I changed it.
1: Yeah. So Bruce tends to, especially nowadays, um, changes his set list almost nightly. Uh, and he will do 60% of the songs, the same songs most nights during a tour, the other 40% he changes out and he does the songs in different order. So, um, People who aren't at the show follow social media and someone's on the show and I'm sitting here holding my phone because, you know, you guys. And so you tweet, oh, he's starting with Badlands. Oh, okay, He does Badlands all the time. Or like in Charlotte, he's doing Iceman. Holy crap. Iceman is an obscure song off this Tracks, which is a four CD unreleased box set he did that uh, was, all, it's four CDs filled with songs from his early albums he didn't release. And there actually is in the vault Tracks 2, where he has another set. So there's all these songs. So it's this unreleased song, and he's opening with it. So people are going Instead of set listing, they're set listing. Oh, my God. I can't believe he's doing Iceman. Why aren't I there? <laughs> so, um, so, yes, that's why. So the three shows I went to, very different. Um, in 2016, he did the River Tour, which was he did the whole album, The River, in order. And so the first two-thirds of the concert was the same every night. Mm-hmm. And then he did another set of kind of any rotated kind of a greatest hits thing. So well, that's yes.
0: that, yeah, that's gotta at least not only be fun for the fans, but fun for the band too, that every night they're not playing the same stuff yeah. in the same order and everything yeah. like that.
1: So one of my one of my bitter moments, David, is there is a song called This Is Your Sword, which is off his High Hopes album. And it is as close to a religious song he's ever written. Um it is um this is your sword this is your shield this is the power of love revealed um and i just love that song and it's on my wish list you know if if barry was touring re- regular you would have a wish list of here here's what i want to hear right like okay. even though i know there's no way he's doing this i you know you still have a wish list right um and it damn sure is that I'm on fire. But anyway, well <laughs> Um so um This Is Your Sword is on my wish list. And so 2014, Houston, um, I found out afterwards that he was gonna open the show with This Is Your Sword. And Tom Morella from Rage Against the Machine, who was who was Touring with the band at the time, because little Stephen was off filming *Lilyhammer*, the you know the Netflix series. Um, Tom looks over and says, "Hey, we're in Houston," and Bruce goes, "Yeah." So they scratch. This is your sword, and they open with seeds, because in the song *Seeds*, there is, "And I'm in Houston Town." So. I'm bitter because one, I don't particularly like seeds. And the last time I was in Houston, he opened with seeds. (laughs) So I'm like, (laughs) so I'm like, it it, it was this close to get it. And it it
0: was just taken right away from me. Taken away
1: from me. Yes.
0: Uh, And um, so Bruce has a very distinctive sound. He has a very recognizable voice. So much like the Bee Gees with Robin's, quivering, uh, quaky, amazing voice, instantly recognizable. Barry Gibbs falsetto, instantly recognizable. Bruce has a very similar style of a gravelly East Coast, New York, New Jersey singing voice. Um, what? Tell me about how that's is, is that as genuine as it is or is he put that on or
1: I, I think it is. I know that um, he he does a f- he has a few different voices like he will do kind of a nasally country song sometimes depending on the song. Um, and um, my wife constantly says, I don't understand him. <laughs> he just mumbles you know and you know. Run.
0: Hey, hey you're, you're speaking to a BG fan, yeah. so I know about mumbling lyrics yes. and uh, and in unintelligible right. things so.
1: So one of the things um, in 2014, we were gonna go up to Cleveland to see him, we were going to do, um, and we called it our bourbon and boost, Bruce, uh, Bruce tour. We left Dallas, we drove up, went to Kentucky, did half of the Kentucky bourbon trail, went up, went to Cleveland, saw him perform, did the rock and roll hall of fame, came back down, did the second half of the Kentucky bourbon trail came home about 10 days. It's as a perfect vacation as you could have. I mean, it was just great. Um, but, She says, I I don't understand what he's saying. And I said, okay, do this for me. Pretend he's not saying lyrics. Think of his voice as just another instrument. And this is an instrumental. Think of it as an orchestra. And listen to the emotion of the words without knowing the words. And she goes, okay. And she later came back and said, that actually worked for me. Right. Nice. Because I enjoyed the emotion. And then she will often um, will pull up the words. And then as you get used to like, I don't know how much of your audience has ever tried to watch British TV, like even, you know, you, it takes an episode or two before your ear gets used to the cadence of a British, the, the accent, yeah. because it's just a little different.
0: And, so, and like, yeah, half the Monty Python sketches are going to be brilliant. Half of them are going to be like, I didn't understand a damn thing. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so but that's uh, how I
1: think it is. I think he's I think that's uh, realistic. I think he um, I think that is his voice. And. Um, and, you know, on Netflix, he has that Broadway special where it's just him and his guitar. And it's a little easier to mm-hmm. understand him.
0: Well, the, uh, it's funny you mention that because I, th- I think the Gibbs do that a lot as well. Uh, especially Barry with his uh, range, he'll accentuate and hit different things. Jive Talkin has a part where they they do they do voice and and not just you know mumbling through lyrics, but actually use their voice as an instrument. Uh, they do that. Um, the Foo Fighters just covered andy gibbs um shadow dancing i believe it was one of andy gibbs songs um it might have been love is thicker than water i forget at the moment but there's a part in that that is normally horns or some kind of keyboard and the foo fighters backup singers sang that part as like backup vocals and it was really cool so like, yeah, using your voice as another instrument is really cool, too.
1: Yeah, um, I do kind of be changing the subject, but I another thing happened since we have talked. Um, one of the things you and I agreed with is that um, we had similar experiences. When someone comes to me and says, well, I don't like Bruce Springsteen. The first thing I want to ask is... Um, have you listened anything besides Born in the USA CD? And you said, "Oh my goodness, Jesse!" And I'll let you finish.
0: <laughs> it's the same thing with the Bee Gees. Everybody writes them off as just their disco hits or Saturday Night Fever, and uh, you, you need to listen and appreciate all their other work because there's such a breadth of options for you. Absolutely. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna drop another foot gonna drop something else on you here jesse because um what i'm gonna do you mentioned that i was on your podcast and we talked about fandom and things like that um and i appreciate you coming on to return the favor and talk about fandom and bruce springsteen but i brought you on under false pretenses because i'm going bg's versus bruce springsteen ah
1: okay (laughs)
0: We are going to have a little bit of a debate right now as to who is better now, obviously music is a subjective uh, 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 thing that B- BG's or Bruce Springsteen neither is better and it's my show so BG's are going to win regardless. absolutely. but for the sake of it, uh, I just want to run through some tail of the tape and uh, we could take a look at some of their careers and we could see. Who was better? Uh, so uh, the Bee Gees have released 22 studio albums, had 83 singles, two live albums, 15 compilations, and appeared on four soundtracks. One of those, obviously, was nineteen seventy-seven Saturday Night Fever, which puts the Brothers Gibb at an estimated 220 million records sold during a career that spanned multiple genres and four-plus decades. Bruce Springsteen very respectable numbers in the same strata as the brothers gibb he has released 20 studio albums 72 singles 8 EPs and a ridiculous 23 live albums he also has 15 box set compilations and appeared on one soundtrack he has sold an estimated 135 million worldwide so beat for beat, he's right there. 20 albums, 22 with the Bee Gees, 72 singles, 83 singles. The one thing that grabs my attention right away, and we talked about it a little bit already, 23 live albums. Now, that crushes the two live albums that the Bee Gees have uh, released, but It also speaks to what kind of band they are, what kind of fun they are, because in those albums, there's going to be different songs and different takes on songs that they released. So my hat's off to Bruce for that.
1: Yeah, so what's interesting is Bruce started three or four years ago, and it's on his website called The Live Archives. So they have songs, from you know, they have shows from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and uh, it's on different tours where for – um 9.99 you can download the mp3 of the whole show or you can spend it more so i in a lot of ways i think that's cheating because they aren't pressing cd i mean they they press yeah. the cds if you want them but it's on demand it isn't like he's buying the cds shipping it to walmart uh so um so in a little bit that is but yes he is definitely known um, and there is a huge debate on what is the next art live archive he's going to do. What I find fascinating is Bruce has never had a number one single.
0: That is very shocking and plays into my next category of head to head. It's the yeah. Billboard Hot 100 charts. Bee Gees have recorded 43 songs that made it to the Hot 100. 15 of those were top 10 hits, nine of which reached number one. Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band recorded 26 songs that made it to the Hot 100. Hot 112 made it in the top 10. Zero number ones. Now, to Bruce's credit, he did write Blinded by the Light, which Manfred Mann took to number one. So Bruce as a songwriter made it to number one, but as a performer, him and the E Street Band, no Never had a number
1: one. Uh, Prince's song stopped him from getting number one. Mm. Now, the the question would be what is more iconic Uh, the 80s you know uh born in the usa or the saturday night fever soundtrack of the 70s you could certainly make the argument that um you know in the 80s it's it's prince madonna uh bruce and michael jackson yeah you know that's the top four um the 70s a lot more diverse because it's actually the 70s almost feels like two or three decades you know like the early 70s then the middle 70s yeah. um you know i think by far commercially uh, suppo- there is a story that i've heard is true um that billy joel bruce springsteen and barry manilow early in their career were having dinner they're having coffee and supposedly Manilo has told the story and Manilo made the joke, I will be more successful than you two. And, and when he said it, I'm not saying I'm better than them. I'm saying the music I write is more commercial mm-hmm. than either of their music. Um, and I think Springsteen, you know, there's a, if you ever read his there there is a biography written on him um you know he he did the river which had hungry heart it was his first hit and then he immediately did nebraska which was this album that he recorded in his house on a track machine that's just about serial killers and it's it is truly the the cool springsteen fans were like yeah nebraska's my favorite You know as they're smoking their clove cigarettes drinking (laughs) espresso you know um and the story is the record company went oh okay this is what you want to follow right you you just got a little bit um because he had born to run then he did darkness and then you know did that and then he brought them born in the USA and they went okay this is a little more like it. Yeah. Um and he ended up with seven or eight top 10 hits off the album and uh the only reason it didn't set um going number 1 is because princess was you know I think when Dove's Cry or Purple Rain some of that. Yeah. So yeah, just not he you know he has not had the commercial success that the BG's had.
0: Interestingly, the one thing that Bruce has over the Bee Gees is Awards, He has cleaned up awards compared to the Bee Gees. So where you say that the Bee Gees have commercial success, they have not had the success from the critics or had the same. Until recently, um, when, when they were at their peaks, they did not bring home the awards that Bruce did. So the Bee Gees have five Grammy wins and nine nominations. Versus Bruce Springsteen's 20 Grammy wins and 51 nominations. So just that alone is crushing. Because at the Bee Gees' height, you know, they grabbed a couple awards for the Saturday Night Fever. But after that, it was all downhill. Um, They each have uh, a respectable number of American Music Awards. Bee Gees have five. Um, Bruce has four In 1994, the Bee Gees were uh, inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Bruce followed in 99. The Bee Gees were Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 97, Bruce in 99. Um, The Bee Gees were named Commanders of the Order of the British Empire in 2001. And similarly, in 2009, Bruce received the Kennedy Center Honors. In 2018, Barry Gibb was knighted. In 2016, Bruce Springsteen received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So back and forth they go with some interesting things. Obviously, Bruce crushes with the Grammys, but all the other awards are pretty equal. What's interesting? Let me yes, finish. Oh, okay, all right. Sorry. Um, there's there's one other thing that sets them apart. One other award, one other memorial, if you will, that the Bee Gees have that Bruce doesn't. In 1979, the Bee Gees had a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Bruce Springsteen in 1989, no-showed his nomination and his ceremony and does not to this day have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame.
1: Interesting. So I was going to bring up that, um, and this is a famous story. um, You know, he won the Oscar for Streets of Philadelphia. Yes. And um, he went to, his parents were living in California at the time. And if you read his autobiography, he and his father had a very, very uh, rough relationship. Uh, His father... Uh, fought depression and uh, mental illness all his life. And Bruce has had his own battles with He's very forthright on his depression. But he went to his parents' house and he, you know, set the Oscar on the kitchen table. And his dad looked at it and said, I will never tell anyone what to do with their life again um because it was always the gd guitar and <laughs> the house it was yeah. you know the gd guitar and then of course he was given a uh tony a special tony award that uh for the broadway so um he was nominated for an emmy and i think bruce could give a blank about the ecot he but has a won one emmy
0: away from an egot
1: yes and i was like please 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 and yeah. um and everyone – but what was hilarious, right, is he was nominated um, with the Lemonade with um, Beyonce, oh, him man. on his Broadway, and then a little show called Car Karaoke with Paul McCartney. <laughs> um, yeah, everyone like, oh, Bruce has to win. I'm like, that's Okay, you're against the freaking Beatle. And I don't <laughs> know if you watched that special, but it was – amazing yeah. watching uh, him tell those stories and everything. So, yes, he is one Emmy away from an EGOT.
0: <laughs> well, maybe it'll happen. Um, yeah, Maybe so. Well, something that was surprising. Um, yeah. So Bruce won. The Oscar for Philadelphia, Streets of Philadelphia. The Bee Gees did not win an Academy Award for anything off of Saturday Night Fever. So back in the late 70s, Pop music was very frowned upon, and was not. I, I I'd have to pull it up and check. Um, but I'm not even sure if they were nominated for an Academy Award, uh, which to me seems ridiculously um, obscene and absurd. And in fact, when the Oscars just a few years ago had a special honoring soundtracks and honoring music that were from motion pictures that were famous throughout time. They had a musical montage, which ended with Eminem performing the montage that played up to Eminem coming out and performing did not include the, one of the biggest selling soundtracks of all time, Saturday Night Fever. It did not include the Bee Gees. And I think that slight was even more offensive than passing him up back in the seventies, when you know orchestras and stuff and 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 things might be a little bit more um, more in vogue.
1: Yeah, I you know, I just pulled up. I was trying to look, and so this would be seventy eight, right? Yeah, a little night music. Pete's Dragon, <laughs> like you light up my life. Uh, the song from Pete's Dragon, the spy who loved me uh the rescuers really wow yeah
0: so um un- unless it was 77
1: um that was uh Paul Williams and Barbara Streisand uh Greensleeves because okay. I just checked yeah okay. so
0: so either way
1: yeah that's ridiculous
0: those those songs should not have won over staying alive it, even even if staying alive is camp now at the time, it was a cultural phenomenon and the height of pop yes. and should have been recognized. Now, Academy Awards does have time to make that right and give Barry Gibb an honorary Oscar before before he passes because that's something that needs to be done. Yeah. Um, but what I'd love to do, um, I, I I would love to sit here and talk with you more about stuff, but uh, I I do have to wrap it up. We are going to, you and I, Jesse, we're going to talk about some songs because after our last podcast, when when I guested on your show, uh, we exchanged playlists.
1: Yes, we did.
0: And um, when I gave you about, we originally said 10 songs. I think I gave you close to 20. I gave you yes. 15, 15 or so songs because I kept adding stuff. I was like, "Here and here's a couple off of Barry's new album. And here's a couple off of the Greenfields. Um, and, and then in turn, you gave me a bunch of Bruce songs. And we exchanged these playlists as a way of saying, here is some other songs that you may not have heard before that might appeal to you more than their known stuff. Yes. Um, So we each picked five from the respective playlists, and we're going to record a Spotify-exclusive listening party episode where we talk about those songs, talk about what we thought of those playlists, and then listen to the music as well. And you could only hear that on Spotify. So make sure you subscribe and hit like and give me five stars and do all that stuff there. Uh, but Jesse, I'm really looking forward to this conversation.
1: I am too. Um, I loved all the songs. I, I really did a debate on which five to pick. Um, and, uh, I heard you did the same thing. You were like, like, okay, I don't know which ones. <laughs> it, it, it
0: was tough because like the, um, the, you gave me a good variety and, and, there was some that I wanted to talk about, but then there was others that I wanted to hear. And so, and, and I was listening every night. I'd, you know, sit there and listen to it while I'm laying in bed and just listening over and over. And then I'd wake up at three in the morning. My earbuds are still in and like Bruce is playing in my ear. I'm like, where am I? What's going on? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun and enjoyed listening to these songs way much more than I expected to. So I can't wait to talk with you about it.
1: Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. This is gonna be great. So I hope everyone uh comes back and checks this out.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh well Jesse, thank you so much for joining me on Bee Gees and me. Tell people once again where they could hear your podcast and find it online.
1: Sure. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. Uh you can find the show at Set Lessing Bruce. Uh Set Bruce If you do a Google search um, on all uh, the typical podcast playlists on Spotify and iTunes, it's there. Um, As we're recording this, I don't know when this will come out, but I'm doing a series of Springsteen Friendship Month episodes that I'm really proud of. I, I put a call out, David, and I have eight episodes of people that became friends because of their mutual love of Bruce Springsteen's music and so we are having them talk about that friendship and so that's been a, a lot of fun i uh So uh, please check that out. And um, I put a call out for guests. If you are passionate about an artist, it doesn't have to be Bruce Springsteen. If you love Barbra Streisand, if you love Willie Nelson, if you love the Foo Fighters, it doesn't matter. Um, Reach out to me, setlessingbruce at gmail.com and say, hey, Jesse, I'd love to be on the podcast. And uh, we'll make it happen.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate it. That has been this episode of Bee Gees and Me. I want to thank my guest, Jesse Jackson. Be sure to check out his podcast, Set Lusting Bruce, wherever fine podcasts are found. And don't forget, next week, join us on Spotify for a listening party of some awesome Bruce Springsteen and Bee Gees songs. Be sure to subscribe there, so you'll be first to know when new episodes premiere. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at Bee Gees and Me. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for great videos. Everything and more can be found at bg'sandme.com. And please be sure to subscribe here where you listen to this podcast, where you're listening right now, and rate it five stars. It helps so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode. My name is David Fedor, and this has been BGs Bee and Me. And many more.